Good morning, afternoon, mid-morning, evening, wherever you are, <laughs> since we're now global with Modern Campground, I guess. Like, we, I don't even know what to say in the beginning, Daryl. What do we say? Hello. Um, hello. Hello. Just hello. Yeah, hello. Thanks, hello. Mark. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Uh, welcome to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. Here, as always, is Karis Ismadia from the Canadian Camping and RV Council. And our brand new crowned, like, third host, Mr. Daryl Buza, the editor of modern <laughs> editor-in-chief of modern campground sorry we don't have an thank editor. you thank you he just leapfrogged okay. everything and went straight <laughs> to the top straight uh, to the top right to the, the top, top. <laughs> editor-in-chief of modern campground so the three of us will be here regulars on the show we got mr mark kept with us today he's going to be joining us at least once a month for our open discussion news segment obviously he's got a ton of insight and knowledge to share being part of those two big Facebook groups and then all the other 10,000 things that he does on a daily basis. Uh, and then we got Angela and Heather with us too. We're going to introduce, we'll go around the room here in a second. Um, we're going to have a new intro next week. Like, I feel like if, if, if I can work on that, because I think we've talked about this before, like we play the music and the video, it looks fancy. And then if you listen on a podcast, it's just like music. You're waiting and you don't know if anything's going to start. Yeah. So we've had a, an audio script recorded and it's, it's Hopefully sounds good. I got an email with it this morning, but I haven't had a chance to listen to it. So, uh, but we are available on podcast platforms after this. But, uh, you know, if you want to listen to Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all that kind of stuff, as well as mcfiresidechats.com and moderncampground.com. So, uh, super excited to be here with you guys again. Again, open discussion format. So let's just run around the room and introduce ourselves real quick. I feel like everybody knows me and Kara, but uh, where do we want to start? Sure. Um, again, <laughs> I'm Daryl. Um, I am the editor of Modern Campground, bringing you the latest in RV park and um, campground owner news daily on the daily. So um, um, it's www.moderncampground.com. We are on social, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and Twitter too. So come check us out. Um, we bring the best. So yeah. New slogan, we bring the best. We bring the best. Bring it. I just I thought it. about that. I like it. Heather, Heather you want to go? Sure. Uh, I've been on a couple times. My name is Heather Blankenship. I own a few RV parks uh, in the U.S., as well as mobile home parks and Section 8 housing. I also teach people all over how to buy and operate RV parks. Awesome. And, I, and I'm going to, Angela, you're next, but I just want to say, like, my audio was terrible the last time I used this microphone. So if it's bad, because it's coming across here fine, I think, but if it's bad, then obviously, you, I guess you can't hear me say that you should comment if it's bad. So maybe that will work. Someone else tell them if it's bad to comment. Uh, but Angela, go ahead, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Angela, and I am the project manager for Insider Perks, um, responsible for keeping all things afloat and keeping Brian in line, which is probably most hard important. hard <laughs> the worst job, job ever <laughs> he is very well paid to do that so. mark mark kept with campgroundviews.com how's everybody doing i work and help people find campgrounds and rv parks we just launched the campground virtual tours and um as of today we are now at over 500 live campgrounds with campground virtual tours. So we're bringing awesome. this new technology to the industry and allowing people to actually virtually tour campgrounds, see the sites and pick the sites. I can tell you the consumers are loving it. 
How many unpublished <laughs> campgrounds or unlive campgrounds? We have, um, we actually have 300 in the queue. I actually have a whole list of California parks right here on my desk. And our videographer is hitting the East Coast. He's hitting there tomorrow, starts his trip, and he'll be up in Maine and then work his way down the East Coast and filming a number of both um, recreation.gov properties and private parks also to put them on the experience. I feel like you need more videographers, Mark. Yeah. We're almost there. Yeah, it's actually a really technical job, but yeah. I bet. I remember, I think I tried to do it one, like I used to, I did videos years ago for like Southeast Publications. They wanted me to do tours and it never really took off. Like I only did like 20 or 30, I think. We were looking at the, the car mounts with magnets on the front that, to stabilize it with the DSLRs. And yeah, it was definitely a complicated and tricky thing. So it's good to have experts uh, that have the patience for that because I don't. So, uh, so uh, okay. So we're just going to talk about open discussion, news, things. I feel like maybe one of the more relevant topics we should discuss first is this Hurricane Ida that obviously uh, right. devastated Louisiana. So what have we heard from different parks and, and things like that? Um, well, well um, as everybody knows, well, most people know, I, I guess, is uh, Hurricane Ida is the second most intense hurricane to strike Louisiana, um, just next to Katrina. So it was it's kind of bad. It's really bad. Um, there's a park in Louisiana uh, called Cypress Black Bayou Park, and um, there is over 400 Hurricane Ida evacuees that fled um, to uh, Cypress Black Bayou Park, um, and they offered shelter for them. So um, according to the park, around 80 RV and camper spots are filled with evacuees, and uh, also condos, cottages, and cabins are all full. Um, Rick Berry, the uh, Recreation District Executive Director for Cypress Black Bayou, stated that evacuees started arriving last Friday and uh, more are anticipated up to today. So, right. um, yeah. We, um, so, so that's one, right? I mean, obviously, there's one. a lot of examples. Mark, have you seen right. anything posted in your group about it? I mean, there's just obviously dozens of parks that are refuges for hurricanes, but that was the one that came across ours. Like, yeah, we yeah. have uh, within the core of where the storm hit, there's still not connectivity. So we really don't have a lot of news coming out of there in regard to RV parks as to who right. got hit and how they survived. But what we do know is that the parks are that are outside of that Im immediate zone are taking evacuees. And then the big thing that happens after a storm like this is you get a lot of the contractors that come in. So insurance um, adjusters are going to inspect damage, um, line workers, construction workers. There ends up being a boom in those type of folks going into that area and staying in RV parks and campgrounds as they're doing the re rebuilding. So you're seeing a lot of that. The storm was bad. I, I don't think we really have the news yet fully on how bad it was right. and so um that that'll be usually it's about a week afterwards where you start seeing the images of what what's going on there um the, the funny thing i saw was out of new orleans when the news reporters were holding onto the poles doing the reporting and people are doing <laughs> right. cartwheels right. behind them you know that was that's basically all you saw out of new orleans so far but i know the, the wind was bad the rain was bad um and the other thing you have is usually when those storms come inland they end up you know doing a curve up through ohio and tennessee and then out right. to the ocean and generally drop a lot of rain so the next thing you have to watch out for is the flash flooding for a lot of campgrounds that are along you know creeks and rivers that yeah. rise rapidly with that rain and then everything eventually comes back down the mississippi so yeah i right. think i saw something in um one of cap's groups um and it was a park owner they were kind of asking what they should do there was someone that said that they're one of the very first parks um, just outside of the band where there's no power from the hurricane in Louisiana. Um, I forget what state they're in, um, but they're like one of the first parks that has power and all of their- Salia. 
sites are full. Yeah, all their sites are full, but they were also fully booked because of the holiday weekend coming up. And so they only had sites available to offer to a certain um, number of people until I think she said like Friday. So she was trying to figure out what to do and check in with people that are supposed to be coming Friday because their main summer business comes from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. So trying to see who's actually coming and, you know, hoping that if they're not coming now that they cancel so that she can continue uh, assisting evacuees and stuff. So um, yeah, just really, really incredible. Yeah. Tough position to be in for sure. You know, there's an actually an interesting story from Hurricane Katrina. There's an RV park located up um, north between um, Baton Rouge and New Orleans, uh, right along the Mississippi River levee. Place is called Poche Plantation, and it's an old plantation that the gentleman built an RV park around. And as the story goes, he was a retired guy. He was traveling around in an RV, and he went. He always would go to these estate auctions, and he went to this estate auction at this. Um, this plantation and the first item up for bid was actually the plantation itself and the starting bid was really low and he just figured ask me i'll bid me three so he threw a bid on the property nobody else bid and he was like what the heck you know why didn't anybody else bid so he got the property and then he, he actually watched the news and found out hurricane katrina was three days out and the hurricane hit his property he ended up getting through it and building an rv park around it he you'll actually see him on the news really really colorful gentleman who ended up buying multiple other properties and after katrina one of his properties actually had a bunch of the fema trailers on it and it's now another rv park so one of the things you see after disasters is entrepreneurs, you know, campground owners being resilient and strategic in their moves to, you know, both help the community and also grow their bottom line. Right. Well, that's part of what I think that, I'm, that we're hoping like we can expand modern campground to cover too, right? Because it's very easy to pick up those news, right? Like campground was destroyed or there was a fire or there was something bad that happened or whatever. But if we can really drive down into some of those feel good stories, right? of the entrepreneurs, the people who are building, recovering, helping their local area, like the evacuee story we did, uh, things like that. I think there, there's a really good balance to, to, to be found there that, of stories that are untold that should be told. So, You know, it's interesting with the hurricane season in, in Tennessee, we, like you said, that the, the rain kind of heads that direction. And as an owner there, the city always sends out emails saying, hey, people are evacuating. Do you have, do you have space for anybody to come in that's evacuating? And the sad part is we all really want to help. But as y'all were just saying, they hit right before that holiday. So we're all already full for the holiday. And then in the Smoky Mountains, um, we hit, this is our busiest time of year as we're going into the foliage change. And it's really tough because the parks are at their max already. So I, I wish we had some really great backup options since, you know, I've been seeing this for 10 years now. We know those hurricanes are still coming. So where could we send those folks? It would be neat to have some kind of, you know, we put those plans in place for our park. How could we, you know, as campground owners, gather together and say, okay, we know that's a busy time of year. Where can everyone go when this hits? Mm -hmm. You know, I know up in uh, Glacier National Park, the West Yellowstone, uh, yes, West Yellowstone, the West Glacier KOA, um, they have a whole big old field adjacent to their property. So they own a bunch of land, the RV parks on one, and then they have all this empty space. And one of the things they have done, I don't know if they're still doing it, but they work with the local <laughs> emergency management to designate their area as an evacuation center. And mm -hmm. so when emergencies happen, it ends up being the place, like when I was there during the big fire in Glacier, they were actually using a, that as the helipad. So the helicopters were landing there, refueling and going and dropping the water on the fire. Um, so that's that's one way park owners can't, if, if you have um, adjacent space as part of your property, you can actually reach out to the local emergency managers and 
offer that space when an emergency happens um, to start drawing people in. So um, what would happen then in, in the case, Heather, of, in that case where people are evacuating to the park and you, you're full, you could probably use that vacant space. And because it'll be an emergency, there'll be emergency funding available to bring in generators, to bring in honey wagons, to bring in water to where you could actually set up a temporary RV park for those evacuees in, in that situation. It, it, it only works if you have the space, but it's an opportunity if you do. I, yeah. That happened to me in my park a few years ago during the Fort McMurray fires here in Alberta. Um, we're a few hours away from where the fires were burning, but we had lots of folks kind of come this way because they had family in the area or whatever. Um, and we did basically exactly what Mark described. We, we partnered with the landowner next to us and, and were able to kind of offer space to several, I think 30 or 40 units of families who had lost their homes in a forest fire. Um, and, and did that with the support of our county and things. So uh, I can attest to that being a valuable and workable solution for sure. That's awesome. It sounds like something we need. It's not an if, it's a when. These storms seem to be coming every year. So having something planned out ahead of time for those people, I think would be really beneficial. Yeah. yeah. That's I was a able good to question campground local too, to me. So when, when, the, our extra space was full. We were able to kind of communicate with the next campground down the road and and see if we could get them a spot there. So, yeah, it was an orchestration for sure. Um, but uh, it it was it was a great time and and a great experience for me. It was incredibly valuable to help those families out, and uh, I still hold it as one of the the most uh, treasured of my times uh, during during all my years of operating campground for sure. Well, so I think that's one of the good questions, though, right? And this, we're sparking a discussion here. Uh, how do we do that, or is, or can we do that in advance? So we know yes. that in certain segments of the country, like California, Oregon, and over there, BC, they're going to have wildfires every year. We know in you know Louisiana, Florida, those kinds of areas, Texas to a certain extent, Alabama, they're going to have the danger or potential of hurricane, even up the Carolinas, right? So is there a way to to figure this out in advance so that people know at least here's a handful of places we can send in an emergency? Yeah, you know, Patrick Hardy talks about that a lot. Um, there is there is, and there are local emergency procedures in place within your city, county, or area. Mm -hmm. they, they have them written down, and it's literally a book that they'll pull out, and they'll go page one, page two, page three. First step is to get on that list. So, you know, in the case of Florida, Louisiana, hurricanes, the, the problem there is, is that most people need to leave, right, for the hurricane to come in, and then they need to get back in as fast as possible. The problem with getting back in as fast as possible are a few things. Number one, power is usually gone, right? So yeah. with power out, there's no fuel pump meaning an RV, you're only going to get so far. So you you get on the list to where they, they kind of plan it. Okay, first we're going to get these lines put in, get this gas station up, then your RV park opens, right? So you become part of that recovery effort and that repopulation step that happens within a region for the hurricane areas. For the forest fire area, same thing. Get on the list. We have vacant land. You know, Heather, Tennessee parks, probably the problem is out of the trees. You don't have empty vacant land where you can say land a helicopter because there's a bunch of trees there. So yeah, you end up becoming an evacuation center or a Red Cross center or a backup for that type of thing. Or even if you have pasture land or whatnot, that could be that could house horses and stuff. You can become that type of thing. But reaching out to your local city, county, or state, you know, depends on your region and saying, hey, we've got land, we're available during emergencies with everything going on, we wanna get on that list and actually get on there and that'll help you become part of that plan. 
Nobody else wants to weigh in except Mark. Okay. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think uh, that was obviously a vital part of us being able to kind of execute that emergency plan was was working closely with my county officials and and um, I definitely recommend kind of making at least a fundamental uh, a plan and connection with those individuals, you know, before any sort of emergency happens. It was incredibly difficult for me to get in touch with the right folks when we were kind of already thrust into chaos right. dealing with stuff. So I definitely recommend um, if you can making basic contingency stuff, you're never going to be able to plan for every, every outcome, but certainly you know, things like being able to squeeze in more RVs and, and where you're going to source, you know, generators and water and, you know, maybe you need to partner with somebody who has a dump station because you don't or, or whatever. Like there's various things that you can at least get on paper and, and prep your staff for chat with them about that stuff included in a training manual. Um, you know, it, it's, it was always one of the reasons I was afraid to leave my park when I was an operator was like, if something crazy happens, <laughs> can these guys handle it? Um, so having that stuff in, in the policy binder is incredibly valuable too. So um, I know one of the things that you're going to still get, you're getting that picture like we were talking about, right? Of who's been impacted and who hasn't. I know we, uh, the Arvik Foundation is out there obviously collecting donations. I think yes. they're working with the Red Cross now and stuff. So if there's, there's ways through there that you can help support it. I think Lisa Thibodeau is still the executive director of Louisiana Arvik. So um, we've got her contact information, our article on Modern Campground. Um, if you want to, I mean, again, I we've tried to call her a couple of times. I'm sure she's swamped, right? So that's why. Yeah, definitely. So uh, last priority is talking to a news website, I imagine. So right. just, it just means she's busy and helping a bunch of people. Uh, over in California, speaking of the wildfires, it's Diana Kelly, right, Mark? Yep. So Diana Kelly. Um, and then... I don't think Oregon has an association, do they? Can't run association? No, California covers Oregon, Washington, and Nevada. Okay. Okay. So Diana Kelly, go-to person there, uh, really helpful. So yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think there's ways we can brainstorm this, right? As, as to get these, yes, your local emergency management thing is a, is a resource, but maybe there's a resource. Even like, I mean, you look at your site, Mark, right? Like campgroundviews.com. Maybe there's a way where there can be a map of like, Here's sites that are willing to help in the event of an emergency or something like that. Well, I think Mark's groups are incredibly valuable too. I mean, campgrounders are already using them to communicate about this this stuff, right? So um, he's got a couple of resources there that uh, you know are already providing support. You know, Andrew was talking about an owner already posting there. I mean, I saw a couple posts there over the weekend. Um, so yeah more those resources are really valuable if you're not in mark kept's groups i i suggest joining them they're great absolutely for all kinds of things yeah yep. yeah and actually the top thank you for that and by all means join it's <laughs> it's great place to inter interact with other owners but um back to the tahoe fires that's an ongoing crisis right now right yeah. and so it, it hits home for me because my mom lives there and we actually almost bought a house there in, in Myers, California, that's currently evacuated. So the other day they evacuated 20,000 people out of Tahoe in five hours. Think about the logistics of moving 20,000 people out in five hours. It was actually pretty amazing that they were able to pull that off so efficiently off the mountain. Um, the fire itself has, has fortunately skirted Tahoe so far. It's gone around the mountains around it. The unfortunate thing, though, is it's now going over the mountains down into Gardnerville, which is where they evacuated everybody to. 
And so oh, no. um, luckily they're going to be far enough away from the mountains where it shouldn't be a big issue, yeah. but nonetheless, they're starting to evacuate regions around there too. So it's an ongoing issue. There's some park owners in this group that run parks both in Tahoe and down um, in the Carson Valley area. So they're being affected and impacted by it right now. So if you have the opportunity to support anybody in that region, by all yes. means, raise your hand. Um, the firefighters right now, I just read an article, there's 4,400 firefighting personnel in that area right now. So my mind went to the logistics of that. Think about water, food, restrooms for that many people. Yeah. So you're going to see a significant right. um, impact in that region for quite a, quite a while now. All right. Well, let's move on to something a little bit more happy then, because obviously you're still getting a <laughs> picture of all this stuff, and we obviously care a tremendous right. amount, but there's only so much we can tell people, right, about the hurricane yeah. and about the fires right. when it's still uh, such a fast-moving thing. But we will keep covering it on Modern Campground. Again, uh, Mark Kipps groups, if you're not in there, yes, you can post some of this stuff. I feel like we get – do we get a dollar every time we mention Mark Kipps groups? <laughs> Well, it, it, it counteracts with the modern camper, though, so it, it yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's true. Okay. It balances it out. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about let's talk about something more a little bit more well not more timely but same timely right. Last night Heather had a successful webinar with like two billion attendees or thirteen hundred yeah. or something like that. Somewhere so tell there, us yeah. what happened, Heather. You know, I have as, you know I've been in brokerage for the last couple of years, and I have been overwhelmed with phone calls of people calling and saying, Heather, how do we make money in this business? How do we get started? What do I do with this? How do I develop? What's a, what's a property worth? And you, know, you can only help so many people. Mark knows that. I mean, that's probably how his group got started. You can only answer so many questions. There's only so much time in the day. And, and you find yourself repeating the same information over and over again, or, or you're caught off guard when someone asks you and you're like, dang, I wish I would have included this when I told them. And so, a couple months ago, I decided to put a course together to help people who were just starting out, um, which is how last night's free webinar came about. We were super blessed to have Kara on with us, as well yeah. as Steve from Camp Spot, and then Frank Rolfe. And if, if most of you don't know who he is, because he's, he's a little bit bigger in the mobile home park space, he's a freaking rock star. He's the fifth yeah. largest owner of mobile home parks in the country, and he's just a wealth of knowledge. So we were super lucky to have him him on the webinar also. And, and like you said, Brian, we had 1300 uh, people registered, which was wow. blowing the numbers we assumed out of the water. Uh, I knew well, that, that was when you, that was when you texted me and then I registered after. So you had over <laughs> 1300. <laughs> Get together with the marketing spin here, right? It's over 1300. So yes, very good. And the questions were just flying through the chat. So oh yeah. We couldn't get them all answered. And, um, so we've answered a lot of people after the fact, and it was definitely an interesting experience for sure. So yeah, what you do, I, go ahead, Kara. Sorry. Sorry, Brian. Yeah, I was just going to say I appreciate again the, the invitation to to join in, um, and I was I was really um, excited to see that chat activity. I mean, it just really speaks to how interested people are to to shift into the industry and. Um, and to learn and, and grow and, and, you know, I also think there's a lack of resources specific to, to the industry. So you've really kind of hit that um, missing part of the market, which is obviously really valuable considering how many people um, attended and, and were really vocal about questions and, and getting involved. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. We need more campgrounds in Canada. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised to see how many Canadian attendees there were on the list in that yeah. chat. You saw them continue to pop up every couple minutes. So yeah, that was really neat. Awesome. It's a worthwhile service also, Heather, because like you mentioned, Frank, Frank's, an, if most folks won't know him, he is a legend in the mobile home park business and he runs mobile at mobile home university. I think that is right. Yeah. And yeah. he trains thousands of people every year to go invest in mobile home parks, but generally skips out on the RV park side. So it's, it's an absolute necessity. There is so much yeah. interest for folks to get into this industry. And it's really, it's it's paramount that, that folks get in it right, right? So the worst thing you want is an owner to buy a park and completely over leverage themselves and then not even be right. able to improve it or run it right. So it's really mm -hmm. important that they get the good advice now. So it's you great. Know, what's, what's interesting in how we got Frank involved in that is um, when I started out on this journey of how do I find these people that are interested in RV parks, I created a TikTok account, which makes me feel like a total idiot dancing around and <laughs> all these videos. <laughs> y'all haven't tried it yet. It's like one of the most humiliating things on earth to try and do in front of children. Um, but so I have about 30,000 followers on uh, TikTok. And one of the most common things is oh, that that, you're like a star on TikTok. What are, you doing? what are you doing training RV park people? Just like, yeah. You know, one of the most common things that was people confusing RV parks and mobile home parks, thinking yes. it's the same thing. We hear this often right. in the industry. So pulling Frank in to have both sides of that, because, you know, even though they're not apples to apples, they're both still fruit. They have a lot of similarities, mm. but the operations are very different. So including Frank in that was really important. Yeah. Oh, he's so knowledgeable. But it's awesome to hear him speak. Yes. Yeah, and his willingness to share because he also owns mobile home parks. And so his 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 willingness to share because you know, technically you could be competing against him for a purchase, but he's also recognizing right. that the market's so large, there's actually mm -hmm. a benefit for him to have educated other owners versus just mm -hmm. him doing everything right. You can tell that it's something he's truly passionate about. And he is such a great storyteller that he sucks you mm -hmm. in and totally engaged in what he's talking about. Absolutely. And so, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Brian, because I, I, I don't know. Heather, where, what was the, what are you doing? Are you starting a, a training program, classes? Where are you going with this? So I have both. Um, I have a, a pre-recorded course that's about eight hours long with 150 modules that starts wow. at the beginning from um, how you purchase a park, how you decide what kind of park you're going to purchase, all the different types of parks, all the way through operations and preparing to sell and closing and, and kind of everything you need to know uh, about our industry. And anybody who that's not quite enough information with that, they want some consulting and coaching to go along with it. There's a mastermind program where all of the people who are newbies and getting ready to make that purchase uh, are in a group together asking questions right. each week and having coaching sessions. Right. Hmm. Very cool. cool. So I, here's here's one perspective I want. I'm going to put her on the spot, Angela, because uh, we were, she was talking about this before the show, right? <laughs> so Angela, we, you're, we, know you, we know you're not allowed to invest in RV parks because you can't leave me. Uh, <laughs> assuming that you were, what did you take away from Heather's course being like, Kind of brand new to the investment space um i just i thought it was really interesting that she was saying to have frank on there um it, it is true that there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap between the mh overlap, yeah. and rv industry um but they are still vastly different there's a lot of confusion um as well and so it was really interesting to get his perspective um and then just some of the things that you take into consideration when you're looking to buy a property um 
whether it's for RV or MH. Um, and then hearing about some of the different financing options and some of the typical financing options for investment properties, um, any investment property that just aren't available due to the type of business that an MH or RV park um, is. And so, um, yeah, I mean, if you are someone that's new coming in and you literally don't know anything about it, um, it was it was very educational. And, um, you know, I've been in the industry learning for, you know, a few years now. And and I there were a lot of really great takeaways. So it was it was it was definitely beneficial. So go check it out. Go sign up. <laughs> yeah. we'll we get two dollars for a Heather mention. So. <laughs> yeah. <Wow. laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I think I think those are all good points. Like, in real estate is something that interests me too. Um, and we're gonna, I think we're gonna do a show on that next week. Randy Hendrickson is gonna try to join us from United Park Brokers and, and talk about um, some of the things that he's seeing in that space. So I don't want to dive into it too deep, but briefly while we have Heather here, I feel like we would be wasting a resource if we didn't ask her her take on it at least. On which part, Brian? What's your Real favorite? estate in general, like the competitive nature of like everybody hunting for the same deal right now. You know, it's the interesting part is because we're so immersed in the RV park space, we feel like it's also really competitive. And in reality, compared to some of those other asset classes like multifamily or self-storage or even mobile home parks that we're talking about, it is not as competitive as those. Uh, our industry is 82% owned by mom and pops. So, or yeah, mom and pops, only 18% is institutional at this point, which means those bigger institutional buyers haven't come in and kind of hustled everybody out of it just yet. So our space still has a lot of room for growth and a ton of potential for those new investors that are coming in. And you don't really find that in the multifamily space or in self-storage even, you know, it's and, and mobile home parks for years. Those have been highly saturated by institutions. And Heather, the, I mean, the reason being is operations, right? I mean, you got to have somebody run the park and it's more hands-on than any of those other asset classes. Is that the reason? Actually, I don't think it is. I, I know that some people who own mobile home parks might claim that initially um, because they don't realize that there's also many RV parks that run operationally just like a mobile home park. You've got right. those long-term parks or the seasonal parks. They're very, very similar in nature. Um, however, think about a hotel or all the luxury resorts around the country. There's huge institutional money in those asset classes. And in reality, we run just like a luxury resort or a hotel on the side of the interstate. Um, right. So I think those hotel industries are moving more into our industry also. It's just a little behind on those people moving in because they've definitely all been knocking on our doors. You know, it's interesting you mentioned hotels. I was literally just reading an article this morning talking about business travel. So as a result of COVID and all these Zoom meetings and virtual meetings, that business travel has just been decimated. And for a large portion of hotels and those type of accommodations, a significant proportion of their um, revenue is, is derived from business travelers who the company's paying the dime, right? So they don't mind if it's 200 bucks a night versus the, the vacation traveler. So It'll be interesting to see if those investors that are in hotels start looking for other opportunities in this industry because it offers that opportunity for better returns. They seem to be. Uh, the last offer, that unsolicited offer that I received was from a large hotel owner in the area. So they do seem to be knocking on our doors and asking lots of questions. Oh, you mean for your park itself? Yes. Yep. What are you seeing up in Canada, Kara? Um, we're, 
we are definitely seeing a ton of investor interest. Um, I've been kind of inundated with calls specifically since um, Heather announced from folks up here who you know, noticed that I'm in Canada and so wanted to connect. Um, you know, there's obviously big appetite um, to get into the industry. You can't look at this without seeing how well it's, it's done over the last while. Um, and it's really just um, an untapped asset as well. I think even more so than states. Um, and we do have a serious, significant inventory shortage. We have a, we have a major site inventory uh, shortage compared to capita RV ownership. One of the biggest complaints I hear from consumers all the time is, you know, I can't find find a site to to camp in. My my RV is sitting in storage all year because I can't get out. Um, so you know, there's definite interest. I think there are some barriers in the way uh, in, in certain places of the country specific to things like rezoning. Um, we also sometimes see perspectives from officials that um, maybe don't understand the industry very well and, and so would prefer for, you know, a different business model or type to, to go in. Um, so there's there's some hurdles in the way, but there definitely are groups uh, purchasing of existing parks and and working towards development stuff wherever wherever they can. So um, I'm excited to see where it's going to go. We we definitely need more parks up here. Um, it's 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 a long game at this point. I think um, I don't see the the industry slowing down <laughs> um, anytime soon. So you know we need to really be supportive of those. Uh, site inventory growth opportunities for sure. Well, what's fascinating to me is that this is like you looked at Heather's webinar last night with all the comments that were streaming in and all those kinds of things, and it, it seems super busy and it is super busy, but like she said, it's just getting started compared to some yeah. of these other opportunities. Exactly. And so you see like the demand for Heather's webinar, the demand for like I think Arvik has POW things that they offer once every couple months. There are, I'm sure, other things that we're unaware of, but are you going to do more of these, Heather? Absolutely. The demand was way more than we ever imagined. So we'll definitely be scheduling some more and including other industry experts so that the newbies get to dabble in each aspect of that a little bit as they're watching those webinars. Right on. That's awesome. Awesome. All right. So what else do we have to discuss, everyone? What have we heard in the, in the news and groups and everything else over the last couple of weeks? Well, I mean, we've got the Labor Day holiday coming up this weekend, and it's traditionally the end of the a big camping season, right? It's the end of summer is is the Labor Day weekend, and so no, it's not what, allowed to stop, Mark. We need to. It, stop well, that. it does. Unfortunately, it does, and it's about to get cold. So yeah, we're going to change sucks. that. <laughs> <laughs> we just need but, to pollute um, a little bit more for global warming, and then we can have all year. Oh boy! Uh, oh wow! Anyway, so um, with Labor Day over, um, it's interesting because if you remember coming into the season, the big question mark was how was the season going to go? We had so many new RVers coming into the market. They've definitely changed the way park owners are dealing with things. They're having to deal with a lot more crazy stuff and, and folks that aren't aren't campers. They don't know how to act in campgrounds and RV parks. But I think based on the feedback we're seeing, other than those few wackos, it's been overall a really good season for um, the park owners. Have, have yeah. you guys heard the same? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, it was kind of an uphill battle at the beginning of the, of the season up here specifically, you know, we kind of, things looked great and everybody was getting ready to open for, for the spring. And then several of our, our provinces kind of closed back down and there was huge concern about um, the, the impacts of that again for a second year in a row, really, really uh, detrimentally hurting a lot of our, our members' parks. Um, but we were in all, in all of the provinces eventually able to get open um, and, and, you know, in, for the vast majority of them, business was incredibly good. Um, that new camper market, those issues were, were echoed up here as well. Um, we saw, you know, a huge uptake in families who'd never RV'd before and, and rentals. I know a friend of mine was trying all summer to try to book a, a, an RV rental through RV Easy and still hasn't been able to. So they're hoping for a fall, fall camping trip. Um, so those, those things are, have been really fabulous up here. Um, and, you know, we're kind of, I actually, the, the CCRBC does an annual camping appreciation weekend event the weekend after Labor Day. So this year, September 10th to the 12th. Um, and, and it's kind of our, our members way of saying thank you to, to, uh, campers for all of their support over 2021. Um, we've got members offering discounts and, and, doing fun events and lots of fundraisers for care camps and all kinds of things going on that weekend uh, as a, as a way of saying, you know, thanks for sticking by us through all of this uh, a tough, tough couple of years here. Yeah. Those, those, those events are, I think, pretty critical, right? I think KOA has a, a VKR. Do you know what it's called, Mark? Yes. I can't remember. I used to know like off the top of my head, but yeah, that was right. Yeah. Is VKR yeah. reward still? I thought they changed the name of the VKR program. That's why I hesitated. Oh, for a yeah, I don't but, know. Uh, but anyway, uh, same type of, of deal as, as CCRBC. Uh, I think something like that. So we're going to put like, there's the link to CCRBC's event. Uh, you can get to it from CCRBC.ca, obviously, directly, but there's a link to it. Uh, if you want to go check it out, if you want to come up to Canada camp, all those kinds of things, or obviously if you're already here. So um, but yeah, those, those things are, it's, it's inventory everywhere. And we've talked about that a little bit. So the appreciation is probably going to be limited too. We can only show our appreciation to the people who can book sites in advance long enough, uh, to come there. But like Heather was talking about last night in her webinar, right? The Airstream that you had to wait six months for. Like I was, I was, I made an offhanded comment, I think, to Angela, where I said like, and again, there's a, dis there needs to be a constant disclaimer for everything I say, so no one follows my advice. But if you want to go even <laughs> sooner, you could just steal one from the driveway and then bring it back later because they're obviously not using it. I feel like they wouldn't miss it. Just return it clean and neat, and um, everybody should have an opportunity to go camping. So, but, but yeah, I would like it on the record that we do not share the same positions on almost anything. <laughs> I, I feel like that's a given. Like, that, isn't that a, like, just, just want to make it clear. <laughs> I would like I to put that on the record as well. Disavows all knowledge. Do not condone. <laughs> yeah, no. 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 Do not condone. Do not encourage no. stealing other people's airstreams. No. You know, it was last year there was a, a restored airstream that was located at a, at a campground in Dolores, Colorado. They're actually a member of the group. And um, somebody stole the airstream. It was, it was a rental unit. Somebody backed the truck up and stole the airstream. And it was a restored, like, 60s, beautiful airstream. It was Brian. 
It was Brian. It was Brian. Brian. <laughs> that explains Don't it. Don't tell people that. How did someone get away with that? Yep, there did it is. Did they catch them? That, that's what I was really. getting to. Is the thing about stealing an airstream is it's so identifiable they yeah. that it actually the person sold it to like a used car dealership in California. They saw the article and they returned it back to the rightful owners, and that's how identifiable it was. So, Brian, if you steal airstreams, you're going to get caught. You need to go through Winnebago's or something that's got a little more. Uh, Brian, how could you? Mark, no. I don't know how <laughs> giving valuable advice. It's like stealing a Ferrari versus a Camry. Yeah. Which one are people going to notice? Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, it's the same thing when you when you would go to rob a bank, right? You don't pick one of the fast cars. The cops will notice. I mean, this video is getting flagged on Facebook. I've always wondered how people get away with stealing RVs. There was a dealer um, near one of my family, uh, one of my family members, and they um, were like right up to a main road. It's like a four lane road with a turn lane down it, like very, very busy. Mm. And someone they stole like, like i don't know six or eight units right off of the like the front row and I, like i don't know how someone doesn't notice someone just like <laughs> pulling out with eight rvs in a row in the middle of the night like i don't you, how you did just someone have, not realize that so then they ended up they put up like a giant fence all along the front of their property so <laughs> you know they filled it they they filled it all in and whatever but i'm like i don't how do you how do you get away with that it's a it's yeah. it's an issue i mean i guess we should just ask brian because so he's there's a good movie right. called gone in 60 seconds with nicholas cage <laughs> that you should watch and it trains you how to just you got to get off the lot quickly so i feel like i'm an expert after i watch that uh, <laughs> <laughs> well we'll take your word for it so if we loop back to what uh, Mark and Carol were saying, it was <laughs> the yeah. voice of reason has spoken here now. Okay. Um, you know, Kara is talking about the struggles that Canada has had uh, this year, and a board member of Arbic and the president and executive director of Tennessee. Uh, I can tell you that our biggest struggle has been labor this year. Okay. So as we're, as we're going into the end of the season, for most parks, our staff are tired, they're overworked, and they need a break. So as much as we've been so appreciative and so grateful for the demand this year in the industry, uh, we really need some, some help when it comes to the labor side of it. Uh, the Tennessee Association specifically, we had to change our conference date. It was planned for um, the end of August, and we had so many members uh, sending emails and phone calls saying, we would love to come. We just can't but leave our park now because we don't have the staff that we normally do and so yeah. we were voting for date changes so that they could finish up their seasons before we had that conference so heather i got a question on that so you see in the media and stuff talking about the the covid unemployment benefits preventing people from working is that the because i've also been reading other articles talking about there's kind of an unseen loss of workers in which a lot of the boomers that planned on retiring over the last five years just said screw it i'm done yeah. and just quit the workforce so you lost millions of workers and there's just not enough to fill that up i mean obviously a small sample size what is your take why why is it hard for for, for rv parks in particular to get um staff you know i think it's i think it's both mark that's a really great point um and I'm involved in other industries and own other different types of businesses. And we were talking about social media earlier and I did a poll on my social media account saying, you know, cause these are people from all over the country instead of that small sample size of RV park owners in Tennessee. And 
And 60% of them said that they themselves as business owners had a current labor shortage and were trying to figure out how to fill those voids. So I think it's nationwide and, and not necessarily to one specific industry. I'm sure there's industries that are affected more than others, but mm -hmm. it could be across the board. And as we're interviewing people that apply, some of them, they don't show up the first day. They, they don't, you know, return the emails or the offer for the interview. It's, it's really wild how far it's gone with trying to hire people this year. I think a part of it up here in Canada is also the seasonality, the seasonal nature of, of the job is a tough concern, I think, in some cases. Um, you know, I think there's a big, if you, if you are applying for work and you get offered a position that's year round, uh, you know, that's more enticing typically depending on maybe your individual scenario than, than a six or eight month position offering. So that stuff presents huge challenges to our operators up here. Yeah, that's a really great point, Kara. Um, I'm excited to see how this takes our automations. Uh, the lack yeah. of labor this year has forced some of us to start automating some of our systems and actually becoming better operators. So I'm really excited uh, to see how some of that goes and where those automations are pushed to with all the labor shortages. Yeah, I think that's definitely has to be one of the solutions that that operators try to uh, put in place because it just, you know, I'm talking to campground owners left, right and center who are saying like, I am so physically and emotionally drained from the roller coaster ride that this last while has been. Um, you know, even even once they were able to open, then, you know, dealing with all those new campers and all of those things, being short staffed, all that stuff has been incredibly draining for them. Um, and so I, I really do think that that's pushing them to a position maybe if they hadn't uh, walked that automation road before. I think, you know, they're starting starting to consider that uh, more and more as as the necessity pushes them that way. So, uh, you know, it's great to have other operators like you really recommending it because uh, I, I think it's going to be a big part of the solution for a lot of them. And one of the most simple things with that that we started pushing early on, we just didn't have the staff for answering the phones is some of my properties now, if you call, you're going to get a voicemail that says, if you're trying to make a reservation, please do it online. Oh, if you don't have the staff to answer the phone, all of your questions are answered on the website. Yeah. Um, and I know that's really frustrating for some campers and I, I, I'm sorry and I hate that for them. Um, but we just don't have the manpower. It's not that yeah. we haven't been willing to hire them. They're just not there. Uh, it's causing us to close the offices earlier and have different systems for people checking in instead of coming into your office. So those are big changes that I think park owners have had to make this year. Yeah, and I think the, I think the fear on that for park owners is how do they go about doing that automation? And so what I would advise you to do is if, if you're always fielding phone calls for reservations, start making a, a list, like a note list of what the top five to 10 questions everybody has of you and then take steps to answer that online. So if it's how big are the sites? Well, obviously you need to add information about how big the sites are. If it's, um, you know, how far is the pool or what are the pool? You know, all, it doesn't matter. Whatever those questions are, if you start addressing those through your marketing, you're going to start taking that burden off you as the park owner. And so that's, th that's how you start the automation process. So if you're doing everything normal now and it's wearing you out, just start taking that list of where the people's issues are at and the questions they're asking and start addressing those online. Yep, all great points, Mark.
Agreed. Yeah, and there are, to your point, Mark, there are a lot of technological advances that are out there that you can embrace right now to cut down on call volume. And, and we've talked about a couple of them already, right? But live chat is another one that we've been pushing on people for a while. Like we, you can handle six to plus more chats at the same time. You can only talk to one person on the phone at once. Right. And so if this is something you can take advantage of, then then more the better. So. Yeah, actually, Brian, has are there park owners that utilize chat um, that you... Give me one. Somebody's steal, somebody stealing your RV, Brian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a there's a theft happening. <laughs> so Karma. Just left. Karma really sucks. Well, yeah, I'll, ask the, I'll ask the question to Heather since Brian's just left the show. Heather, are you using chat in any of your RV parks to um, take reservations? And if not, have you heard of anybody that has? I'm not, but I just wrote down a note that I need to be. I have one girl specifically. Um, in my property management office for my other types of properties and she answers all the phone calls coming in and then it, it backup rings to the, the parks themselves to try and slow down the traffic in the office in there. So I am adding chat to her list right now. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't actually know any other RV parks using that, but they should. Yeah. Brian may know of some though now that he's We back. know a couple that are using it, but mm -hmm. yeah, it was, all, it was always a balance and I'm sorry, just somebody was at my door. Um, there's always a balance between like, again, having the staff, but once you get into an issue where you can't answer those phones, then balancing the staff becomes more of a priority and you realize the time savings. So before I don't think there was that realization. Yeah. Agreed. It's, uh, it's, other than that, like, one of those, like it's new and, and you're not sure how it works. And so it causes some trepidation, but then typically once you jump in it's like, Oh, this isn't so bad. <laughs> I, I like this. So, uh, the, the trial stuff is, is valuable. I encourage anybody who's exhausted and wiped out to, to try some of those solutions for sure. And, and Mark's pushing forward into the whole tech area, right? So like, yeah. Mark, what else can you invent for us? I'm looking for a Josie, the robot from like the Jetsons or Rosie, the robot from Rosie, the Jetsons. Rosie, not Josie. Rosie. Rosie. I'll take yeah. one too. Um, so like, I mean, I feel like that would solve all kinds of problems, right? Staffing, customer service, because there's no way- Robots? Hey, Rosie. Brian. I got one word for you, Terminator. Yeah. We're going to turn on you. Terminator can yeah. be for the guy, the people who leave negative reviews or don't get off their site in time. That's so actually a benefit, right? Be one who, it like, could be no your eviction bot. how much a customer yells yeah. at you, Rosie just smiles and says, thank you. Have a great day. That's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, again, the, we, we all know that 30 years from now, that may be a reality, but it's not the reality yeah. now. And so things like live chat though, and, and stuff like that are, yeah, there yeah, are yeah. a lot of automations. Yeah, live chat, online bookings, all of that stuff is incredibly valuable to just cut down on the manpower it takes to make a reservation and, and check people in and all of those things. Yep, absolutely agree. So uh, what else do we have to talk about? I know there's a couple upcoming shows we could probably, well, actually, our next open discussion is going to be October. We should probably touch on this now. You know, NCA, the North uh, Northeast Campground Association, is planning a great escape from October 13th to the 14th. I've never been to one of these. And I know, actually, maybe Heather can touch on it. Heather, are we still doing the Young Professionals one? Or? We are. We're in Orlando in January for the YP. Wow. Yeah, Carrie, you going to come down in Orlando? I'd love to. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, we are working out the details on which hotel at the moment 
the dates are announced on the YP website for early January after everybody voted and mm -hmm. I'll be meeting in Orlando. We're, we're working on some park tours and, and things like that to go in with the Great Escape portion. So cool. Nice. Well, that's one of the things I want to touch on just really briefly, right? Because we got the NCA Great Escape and that's why I brought up the YP one. Tell us what, it, I mean, for those who don't know, why the, what is the Great Escape portion of it? Yeah, so the Great Escape is meant to be very different than a conference. It's meant to be for the owners kind of after the season to just breathe and relax and uh, get together and have a good time. The YPs are a little bit younger group. Uh, not all of them are necessarily park owners, and they're definitely not as experienced as uh, you might find for NCA's Great Escape. So we were adding those park tours in just to give a little bit more education um, because they're still looking for, and hung, hungry for that education side of it. Um, as to where the NCA side of the Great Escape, they, they're the ones that have had the stress all year of um, they like all the these different things we've listed. Yeah. Yeah, I did that. Paul, I was just thinking when you said you, they're they're there to unwind, what, they just locking them in a room with a bunch of alcohol because we did that survey on the group asking people what they're doing and they basically said they're all going to go drink. So I'm not going to name the show, but there is a show in November where that yeah. is a, a frequent activity of park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's necessary. It's warranted, right? Like, I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, because we've got like, unlike hotels, they're spread out over a year, right? They come and they go and the up times and the down times, like it's a compressed season. So I feel like there's a, it's very natural to want to unwind after the end of that. It is. It's necessary it is. To get together with those other park owners who've had mm -hmm. some of the same struggles as you have yeah. over the year and have that glass of wine or beer and kind of BS about what's happened and what you could do differently. <laughs> Just a glass. I tried, and no different than us talking about the live chats now. If one of the park yeah. members is like, oh, well, that really worked out for me. So, that, but not that it's really networking like you would think of at a conference, but the camaraderie between the yeah. owners at this right. is priceless. Yeah, some of those relationships that I established when I was an owner really shifted my business and, and gave me a ton of support I never or ever expected or or thought I needed until until I had it. So it's incredibly valuable. Yeah. The collaboration in this industry uh, blows me away. Everyone is anyone I've ever encountered is always so willing to just share what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them. Like, don't even bother with this kind of thing. Save your time, save your money. Um, yeah, and just really willing to share even people that are like you know their parks are neighbors um still willing yeah. to send each other business if they're full or you know whatever it is um yeah it's incredible well that's why this show is valuable don't even listen to anything brian says and here's the other guy so, <laughs> perfect balance that's the best um, sales pitch i've heard in a long time <laughs> <laughs> why do you think it's not me by myself no one would watch so what else do we have coming up? I think we got, I don't have dates in front of me. Maybe, you know, the, Mark, the, glamp, the glamping show is in October. Mm -hmm. um, I do know mm -hmm. I spoke to David uh, last week and they, as of then, they have more registered attendees already than they did their first in-person event that's taking place in Colorado um, two days. So that's the glamping show. And so then I, six, I found the dates and then taco, right? And then taco. Yes. That's what's yeah, taco. Yeah. I don't know the dates for taco. That was, the one I was bringing up originally, but I know it. I think it's in September. Like I think it's this month. I think it's next week. Yeah, because I think they were calling me and and they didn't know I was in Canada. 
And they asked me if I wanted to redeem my credit. And I'm like, when is it? Next week. And she was, I was like, well, probably not. <laughs> so, yeah. Like I'm a little far away. And my booth is my booth is in Missouri with Joe from at my community. Because he was driving around with his giant screen. So I don't even know how I'm gonna get that back. So just a fun nightmare. That's an orchestration. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of that, will you be attending any conferences this year for Insider Parks, Brian? I don't know. Angela's going to be at Arvik. Um, but again, I don't know like the logistics of how we're going to set up the booth. Like Angela will be there as a speaker and we'll pay for a booth, but we may just end up having like a table skirt or something like that. So uh, I don't know about the other ones yet. We're trying to kind of evaluate that and see. So because it's interesting, like as this industry changes, right, we're finding that a lot of the clients that we're getting aren't coming from the traditional campground shows. And, and they are, they're clearly valuable. Like nobody's discounting that. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of the people that, that we're getting aren't, like they're cold calling us and they're not coming. Like we sign up people at Arvik, but throughout the year they're spread out. So it's just interesting how the dynamic has changed some of these headroom instruments. Well, you know, one of the things, you know, being a vendor like, like Brian, one of the problems with the trade shows is that you're behind a table and there's that separation. So there's not a camaraderie. So it becomes a really weird dynamic where owners, owners feel like they're being sold to, which they are, yeah. right? And so they want to run through there as fast as possible. So it doesn't work as well. And, you know, it just creates a really weird environment for um, the overall experience. And, you know, being a marketing services firm, we measure the results from those events and it ends up being really expensive to attend that and so you know it, it is it is something you know for park owners you probably don't think about it but realize that those vendors probably paid several thousand dollars to be at that event so they do have an incentive to sell you something right they need to pay for that event so there is yeah. there is that in play interesting you bring that up mark because i've been on both sides of that table as a broker uh, being a vendor at the events as well as a park owner and it, you get two very different perspectives because like you said, as a vendor, it's very expensive. You paid for your booth, you paid for your food, your travel, your room, the opportunity lost for how long you're there and, and away mm -hmm. from your family. But as a park owner, honestly, the expo is my favorite part. I Me love too. walking through the expo and talking to all the vendors and seeing all the stuff that's coming up and what's next. And oh my gosh, I didn't know this existed. Um, I think it was last year. Um, I ended up buying like five things I had no idea I even needed. <laughs> like right. that did really well in my store this year. Well, actually, it was at CCRVCs. Uh, so I bought these um, weird pioneer toys. Yes, the spin copters. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. they sold like crazy this year. I, I ordered them six or seven times. So without those expos, you know, I wouldn't know those products existed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think they're incredibly valuable. It's it's a tough dynamic right now, all of that stuff. Um, you know, I think all of the associations for sure are are really measuring and and wanting that return to to normal uh, events and expos and things. So, you know, I, I think uh, the next year will continue to be a good measure of of how things are, and hopefully, those this absence from being able to attend those events will will bump up attendance numbers and and expo experience vendors and things like that so you know another thing i noticed with that is when i'm at a conference whatever is happening there gets my undivided attention so the as a vendor you know we're trying to get these park owners attention in and they're working they're at their parks they're doing whatever it is that the role they're playing for their property but when we go to that expo, we they, they vendors have our undivided attention. So it's a little bit different because the interesting thing is that Spencopter lady had actually come by my park 
I didn't have time to talk to her and she yeah. had sent me a sample and I never saw it because so much crap comes into my office. It took me being at uh, CCRVC for me to actually end up purchasing from her now six times. Yeah, that's a great perspective for sure. I, uh, I, I know RVDA and RVDA of Canada are doing a joint uh, event in Vegas in November. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that uh, comes together. I know in the past it's, there's been lots of Canadian attendants and, and vendors and things there. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting with the way things are right now to see how that goes. Well, I think one of the key takeaways, at least for me, right, is, is again, we're not saying that there's a negative to trade shows. I think trade shows no. are necessary. We all want to get back right. to that. We want to be normal. We want to not necessarily talk across the table, but we want to have camaraderie with people <laughs> and, and help and provide value, I think, in most cases. But I think what, if you take one thing that's good, maybe, that's come out of this pandemic, it's the push to innovate, to think differently, to think outside the box. And so yes. just like, uh, you know, Arvik had their virtual conference, CCRBC had their virtual conference, KOA did. I think some of that is, has forced us to rethink, like, yes, there's a traditional trade show we can provide as an association or whoever is putting it on, right? But maybe there are different ways that we can work together hand in hand with vendors through email blasts or social hosts or promoting or blog posts, just swag boxes, right? Uh, or whatever we're going to do to, because ultimately, like, it's, we want the visibility as vendors. And yeah. part of and that- And they're willing to pay for it. Right. And part of that has to come through a trade show. It has to come with a handshake and the eye contact. Nothing will ever replace that. But you can do trade show plus something else and really show your vendors you're valuing them. And so I think that's what we're kind of hoping to, to take away and continue on. Or at least I am anyway. So from a vendor perspective. <laughs> sure. But okay. Anything else we want to wrap up on? We're a little bit over here. Anybody has some final thoughts? Have a good weekend. Yeah, yeah. weekend everywhere, both in the United Labor States Day and weekend. Canada. Well, what is it over there, Daryl? Where are you? you're at in Manila? Do you have there? Oh, yeah. have Absolutely, we are creating it's a Monday. For it's a Monday. <laughs> it's another working so, day, and we are like we have to be cognizant of that, right? Because modern campgrounds right. doing this global thing in Europe and Asia and South America and everywhere all else, all over the world. Um, so. Yeah, it'll, it's it's interesting, but at least we know. I didn't even know that till this morning. I feel like when Kara told me that it was Labor Day both places, I knew we had a long weekend, but I didn't know it was called Labor Day up here. I'm feeling like Daryl could build those robots you wanted with all the stuff he's got in the background. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should train Daryl to be MacGyver. Like they need a. I wonder how many people actually get the MacGyver reference because the new show is terrible, but the old one was fantastic in the '80s or '90s or whatever. So old. Uh, anyway, thank you for joining okay, us for another then. episode of MC Fireside Chats. Really appreciate you guys uh, here for our open discussion. I think next week we talked about we're going to discuss real estate. Uh, at least I think Randy Hendrickson is going to be on from United Park Brokers. Obviously, myself, Carol, and Kara and Daryl will be here, uh, and we'll try to find another a couple guests as well. Maybe Kara, some people who have purchased their park recently or are going through the process of hunting. I know there's some people in there uh, in Mark Kep's group. Maybe uh, we can see if we can get on the show. Uh, awesome. And then, you know, again, we're available as a podcast. Happy to have you here as listeners uh, and really appreciate you joining us. And thank you, everybody, Angela, Heather, mm -hmm. uh, Mark, for joining us again. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Take care.